Sweet 16 Grammar Tips. Salvage your writing from the wrath of readers and editors. Published in Writer's Block. Written by Walter Bound. That's me. Publish me first. Hey writers, Walter Bound here. Uh, for this rainy Tuesday, I have 16 quick grammar tips that may be useful. So get your handy dandy Blue's Clues notebook out. How many mistakes may you be making? We're all at different stages of grammar when it comes to English, right? So you've entered the no judgment zone. Number one, unless taught in a British school system, use periods and commas inside quotations. The American system places the punctuation inside the quotations. You are a fool. The lady said in red. The lady in red said, right? Comma, quotation. If you wanted her to state that loudly or emphatically, you would write, you are a fool, exclamation point. The lady said, the lady in red said, right? even better, use a better verb like screamed. You are a fool. The lady in red screamed or screamed the lady in red. And I don't want to start singing lady in red. Yeah, don't want me to do that. Almost 75% of my American students do not follow this rule. JS. Just saying. Number two, depending on the publication style guides, novels and books are italicized. Short stories and essays and song titles and poems are placed in quotes. If you're handwriting an essay, underline the title of the book. Swift's satirical essay, A Modest Proposal, is amazing. That is an essay, so is put in quotes. Swift's satirical novel, novel, Gulliver's Travels, is also amazing. I just finished that. I read it a long time ago in graduate school. Uh, but man, what a book. All right, but that's a novel. All right, it's a satirical novel. So you don't want to put that in quotes because you're telling me it's, it's, it's like a song or something. It's not. Stressed Out is a song by 21 Pilots. And that's in the passive voice. Active voice would be 21 Pilots has a song called Stressed Out. Stressed out's a song, so put in quotes. All right, you got that? Please don't make those mistakes. You'll, you'll make me tear my hair out. Number three, plural nouns. Like books in my classroom need no apostrophe. All right, they do not possess anything. Place my suitcases, more than one, over there, please. There is more than one suitcase. Example, my students, it's plural noun, complain about writing so many essays. All right, two plural nouns, students and essays. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I've heard uh, in the hallway. Jill's friend loves to read. Whoa, now we have possessive. So it's Jill's friend, all right? We don't have more than one Jill, right? And it's her friend, it's possessive, who loves to read. So use the apostrophe S. I know this seems pretty basic, but believe me, I see this problem so frequent. All right, number four. Oh, I see this one too. Use only one form of end punctuation. All right, never use more than one exclamation point or question mark and use the exclamation point sparingly. I've heard it said that it's like laughing at your own joke. Make the sentence emphatic with the right words. This is okay for texting or emails to friends, but not in formal writing. Like avoid writing something like this. What was I thinking? Or 
using both together, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Now, you can do this in texting, you can do this in an email, just don't do it in English class or history class uh, or in creative writing. It just looks, it looks, it looks bad and you don't want to look like a bad writer. I said, put it over there, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Okay. Please capitalize all formal nouns, all right? In German, you capitalize all nouns, but we do not speak German. But a formal noun in English differs from an informal noun. The Yankees is a formal noun, right? It is a specific team in baseball, right? Like the Phillies. Major League Baseball is a formal noun because it is a specific organization. Only capitalize mom and dad when addressing them as if by name. For instance, I asked my mother to come over for tea. Yeah, you don't capitalize mother. I turned to her and said, I would really like some tea, mom. If your mom's name is Susan, I would really like some tea, Susan. Well, that would be inappropriate unless you're Homer Simpson. Hey, Homer, right? But you capitalize it there, just like that, right? Because I replaced the formal noun Sue for mom, I need to capitalize it. This gets confusing when writing nouns like history or science or high school. Unless it's Winslow High School, something specific and formal, do not capitalize. Unless you're Emily Dickinson or a poet, or you want to personify the noun like death, but that's another lesson and that's poetry, right? Examples. I have a test today in American history. American is formal, history is not. During my French class, class is not, French is, we studied outside in the Edith Piaf Plaza. Edith Piaf is a very famous French singer uh, buried in Pierre Lachaise uh, Cemetery in Paris, and it's, she has a very beautiful grave. And she was called the voice of a sparrow. So even if you do not know French, just, just pop on some Edith Piaf and you'll be carried away to a Parisian cafe. Sorry for the diversion. Number six, a full sentence needs a noun and a verb, right? Jesus wept, right? That's a sentence. Sentence is a subject, Jesus and an action wept. Make sure the subject of the sentence is clear. And when you can, use active verbs rather than to be verbs. One cannot see a state of being, right? If you use an intentional fragment, make sure it works. Avoid the fragment, a sentence that contains neither a, sub, a clear subject or a verb in an academic writing or a formal essay. Number seven, the M dash can be used as a more emphatic comma, like this. A hyphen is not an M dash. Neither is two hyphens, right? Don't be afraid of the M dash, but avoid overusing it. I tend to overuse it, by the way. Medium writers, and yours included, tend to use the M-dash more since it reads well on the page or on the screen, but it can get messy and sloppy looking, <laughs> you know? Number eight, informal academic writing, a research paper or paper with citations, the period comes after the citation. This is called parenthetical citation. Then Casey died, Steinbeck, period, All right? A lot of times you guys are putting the period both after died and Steinbeck, after that, all right, you don't do that, all right, don't do that. The period does not come after died. A sentence never contains two periods ever. So just stop that. Thanks. Number nine, usually with formal writing, avoid the first person in an academic essay. For your 
common app essay, oh, use the first person. That's informal. But informal writing, you generally want to avoid it. This is not universally true, and it depends on the publication and the, and the class and the professor. If you're writing a research paper, the use of the first person is generally frowned upon. Does it mean you have to write with no tone or voice? No, but writing, I believe Shakespeare was criticizing romantic love in Romeo and Juliet, is not clearly, is not nearly as strong as Shakespeare criticizes romantic love in Romeo and Juliet. Right? Of course. If unclear, just ask your professor or editor. Yeah, sometimes you want to take a narrative risk, especially if the ethos, your credibility, is crucial to the composition. Number 10. Avoid excessive use of you when writing. I can generally tell, I can generally tell, oh, I have a bad comma there. I got to get rid of that. An immature writer by the excess of the odd second person in essays. Count the number of them and then cross them out. Reword the sentence for clarity and conciseness. If you are not directly addressing the reader or audience, rewrite the sentence. When you want to reach out and grab the reader, like, what would you do in this situation if you had a daughter who was blah, 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 blah? Well, that's different, right? That's just a different, that's just, that's just a different type. Number 11. When you're writing about literature, use the literary present tense. After all, the stuff in the book is still happening. John Steinbeck is dead, right? But his writing is not. If you're writing a history paper, it would be fine to write, Steinbeck did this, and he went there, and he lived in California. The Grapes of Wrath, however, is not dead. So it would be John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath portrays, not portrayed, the essential theme that it's only the poor who assist the poor. When J.C., short for Jesus Christ, right, says, okay, so it says, not said. Number 12, again, these are quick grammar tips. We'll be going over these in detail later. Review comma usage for clarity and readability. Okay, this is a whole other lecture, which I'll be getting to, but basically use commas to separate independent clauses when they are joined by any of these seven coordinating conjunctions and the fanboys, right? And, but, for, or, nor, so, yet. B, use commas after introductory A clauses, B phrases, C words that come before the main clause. C, Use a pair of commas in the middle of a sentence to set up clauses, phrases, words that are not essential to the meaning of the sentence. Use one comma before to indicate the beginning of, of the pause and one at the end to indicate the end of the pause. D. Do not use commas to set off essential elements of a sentence, such as clauses at the beginning with relative clauses. Again, this might be a little confusing. I will help you as we go along with the class. Clauses after nouns are always essential. That clauses following a verb expressing mental action are always essential. Use commas to separate three or more words, phrases, and clauses written in a series. And that's where we get to the Oxford comma. Use commas to separate two or more coordinated adjectives that describe the same noun. Be sure never to add an extra comma between the final adjective and the noun itself or to use commas with non-coordinated adjectives. G. Use a comma near the end of a sentence to separate contrasted coordinated elements or to indicate a distinct pause or shift. H. Use commas to set off phrases at the end of a sentence that refer back to the beginning and the middle of the sentence. Such phrases are called free modifiers that can be placed anywhere in the sentence without causing confusion.
I use commas to set off all geographical names, items and dates, except month and day, addresses, except the street number or name, like I live at, uh, you know, 113 Surrey Road, and titles and names. J, use a comma to shift between the main discourse and a quotation. All right, and K, use commas whenever necessary to prevent possible confusion or misreading. Now, that's a lot. And I'm going to have to give you my uh, comma uh, with lots of examples because I, I needed examples there. Again, this was just like quick tips. 13, use the noun form rather than an adjective. Rather than writing horrifying aspects, just write these horrors. That terrifying teacher makes me nervous. Could sound like the terror of a teacher makes me nervous, right? So try to use the noun form rather than the adjective form. Horrifying aspects could just be written horrors, right? 14, know the difference between it's and it's. This seems really elementary, but I find it problematic. As in, it is a lovely day, or it's a lovely day. You can check this by reading out loud the sentence and adding it is. If it does not sound right, it's, it's, place everything in its proper place. That would sound ridiculous by, place everything in it, it is proper place. No, place everything in it is proper place, that doesn't make any sense. Place everything in its apostrophe. All right, and for informal writing, contractions are fine. Number 15, use the active voice even though the passive has its place. The passive voice can be used effectively, especially when it flows from another sentence or when the subject is not really needed, like the legislation was passed last night. Well, who passed the legislation? It doesn't really matter, perhaps. But learn to use the active voice. This is passive. My essay was graded by Mr. Bound. That's seven words. Who was active? Who was doing the action of the verb? Well, yours truly. Mr. Bound graded my essay. That's five words. The cook stirred the soup is in the active voice. The soup was stirred by the cook is in the passive voice. The active voice is more strenuous and rigorous and emphatic, and it always uses, almost always uses fewer words. Number 16, and I guess I'm coming to the end here, use creative and catchy headlines to hook the reader. You have a name, your town has a name, your mom and dad have a name, your dog has a name. The computer you're using to type your essay has a name. Give your composition, composition a name worthy of its creation, like Adam and Eve. Normally, unless it's a story or a poem, the title should indicate the subject and the approach. Make it creative. Take a great line from the body of the text and make that your title. It's really the first thing that makes or breaks your composition, much like the opening sentence, the hook, which we've gone over. Make sure it grabs the reader's attention. All right, hopefully these tips will be useful with your next draft, or it could be just a basic review. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. And happy writing. Let me know if you have any questions. You know where to find me. Cheers.